Welcome to Energy Radio. This is episode 51. And on this guest, on this episode, we have a guest co-host and a longtime listener as a guest as well. And so I'm very excited about this episode. And before we introduce our two guests, I am going to welcome to the show uh, for this episode, uh, for the first time, uh, a guest co-host, Mr. Steve Quinlan. Steve, welcome. Thanks so much, Matt. Excited to be back and uh, on the other side of the mic, so to speak. Um, I feel I've got some pretty big shoes to fill um, in Lisa Barber's place, the usual co-host and uh, and producer. But I'm um, looking forward to this one because it's a, it's a project that I was personally involved in, so it's going to be great. Excellent, excellent. Well, without further ado, I'm going to we're, we're going to be talking about a, a CHP project uh, at Sunnybrook Hospital uh, today, and so we have uh, two of the the main uh, individuals involved in both the, the the project to this point, and then and then the operation. But I don't want to tell uh, too much of their uh, story. So, without further ado, I will uh, welcome. Um, Mike Lithgow, who's the Manager of Energy and Climate Action, love that title, and uh, Dave Simmons, who's the Manager of All Things Electrical. Uh, Mike and Dave, welcome to Energy Radio. Thank you. Thanks, Glad Matt. to be here. So, yep. Mike, you, it's a you real are a honor to be on uh, on this esteemed podcast, Matt. Thanks a lot for the invite. <laughs> You, you, Mike, were one of the first people that I interacted with in the real world that said, hey, I like your podcast. Uh, and you, pre-COVID and now kind of when you're back in, you have a bit of a commute. And so you've, you've been listening for a little while. Is that right? Uh, yeah, you've had some uh, really interesting uh, guests and topics. It's uh, been some interesting uh, listening. Excellent. Well, it's always a pleasure to have uh, listeners on the show, uh, especially, you know, someone like yourself. We're going to I know you're a man of diverse interests in the in the energy space, and so uh, who knows where this will go. And uh, Dave, for yourself, or, have you uh, listened to any energy radio, or are you coming in totally blind? I'm coming in totally blind, and I'm making notes here. I'm going to be uh, looking this stuff up so I can play it on the way to work. It sounds interesting. Awesome. Good, good. Well, this is this is going to be fun. So uh, less of me and more of you is the focus. So maybe, Mike, I'll, I'll start with you. Uh, talk to us a little bit about, you know, how you came to this project, you know, kind of a bit your career in a brief nutshell and your involvement in the project. And then we'll turn it over to Dave after that. Sure thing, Matt. And you'll you'll notice that I often try and get my uh, my uh, words in first, because uh, if I wait for for Dave, I might be waiting a while. So uh, thanks for letting me get in here. Um, and, and just an interesting thing I want to note is that uh, both Dave and I are fairly new to healthcare, actually. Uh, we worked in other sectors prior to Sunnybrook. I've been here for about five years now, and Dave about three years, I think it is. Um, but luckily, our, our director recognized some, uh, Michael McRitchie recognized some transferable skills uh, off the bat that, that, you know, apply to most indus industries, things like, you know, adaptability, obviously, technical proficiency, um, communication, abilities, collaborative, and, and a, a deep uh, caring for, for the work it is that we're doing, in this case, that ultimately impacts the patients. Uh, so, so for me, I've been in the energy space for a little over 30 years now, working in a lot of different um, sectors. And this all got kicked off way back in the 70s uh, during the oil embargoes. And I saw, I realized at that time at a very young age, just how critical energy is to our 
uh, everyday lives and, and left a, a big impression on me. So I've, I've worked in, in uh, industrial settings, multi-res, commercial real estate, uh, nuclear. Um, and it started out as energy only, but then gradually over time has evolved into uh, the broader sort of climate change and sustainability issues that, as you know, are, are, are intimately linked with energy use above all. And so what's your role now at Sunnybrook, Mike? Uh, yeah, as you said, uh, energy manager and uh, sustainability uh, as well. Uh, so, so looking for ways to improve our day-to-day -day operations in terms of costs for sure, but in, also in terms of, of how we do our work, uh, doing it better uh, uh, and improving the, the end result. Um, with the, with the patients, improving safety with the patients. So it's in my case, it varies a lot, all the way from from the the cogen at the heavy technical facilities end of thing, all the way to to some of the more outreach type things like uh, like beehives that we brought in last year, and and increasingly over the last few years, electric car chargers. So it's quite a quite a diverse range of activity. Oh, and by the way, my 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 other job is. Uh, interim management of our painting carpentry and lock shops as well so yeah so you're, you have a full plate uh, fairly to say, fairly to, full, to yeah. say the least right on <laughs> thanks mike and and dave what about yourself i mean what brings you to sunnybrook what's your role now at sunnybrook walk us through that sure and actually mike and i have uh, similar backgrounds rural upbringings and went to the same university i'll have to say i made it there a few years ahead of him and uh, but from there we follow very diverse paths uh, coming to healthcare for me was a, a strange and unexpected journey 2017 i'd spent most of 40 years in a steel mill it was a pioneering mini mill that took scrap metal melted it and then refined the liquid steel to make construction projects steel making is a highly competitive business that relies on innovation and a relentless focus on process reliability to survive i started out in a process control engineering group or use PLCs and computers to interface with the process. And from there, went to capital projects from 230 KV substation work to melt shop additions to a rather unique flicker mitigation device that tamed the gyrations of an arc furnace that is actually coming back to haunt me now. Uh, I was immersed in maintenance from the incoming utilities to the melt shop to the rolling mills with a large leaning and high voltage. And then through engagement in many quality improvement approaches and systems, we continuously held reliability as our goal. After all that, in 2017, I found myself looking for work and I applied to Sunnybrook to get experience with interviews. It turned out my broad background was a pretty good fit to the needs of the hospital. And I've been really surprised at how much of what I learned at the mill I can actually use in healthcare. So at Sunnybrook, we've got a huge amount of equipment and many vintages that all need a reliability focus so they can successfully deliver their services to the hospital. It was an easy step to transfer the drive for process improvement to the needs of our patients, especially after visiting our neonatal intensive care unit. Everything we do here has an impact on people's lives and being able to make a difference, it's incredibly gratifying. Um, during the day, I'm the electrical mechanical manager, look after anything that's got electricity pretty much across the campus. And we mechanically, we do anything from looking after beds to fixing structures to whatever comes our way. It's a pretty diverse bunch of things there too. So it's been a, an interesting ride over the last few years and the uh, cogen was one of those things that kind of drew me in here when i saw it being talked about and thought it might become a reality cool 
And I'm, di- I'm the follow-up question I'm dying to ask is, how does the gyrations of an arc flash furnace come back to haunt you <laughs> in a hospital setting? I'll actually touch on that, I think, a little bit later here. But the the ability of this device to anticipate voltage dips before they happen and respond to them to eliminate them is looking like a really good idea at the hospital. Okay. Whether we've right. got the equipment to do it or not, I don't know. But we've found the guy who knows how to do this work. Okay. Cool. So I'll, I'll keep you on your edge of your seat for a little bit there. Uh, our, our, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just uh, waiting with bated breath. So before we get into the, uh, the bug dust of you know 60 hertz and and voltage and frequency, Mike, why don't you kind of give us step us back a little bit for our listeners? I think most of them are familiar with CoGen or CHP, but maybe walk us through you know what chp means in your context and you know why it makes sense for the hospital how it integrates just kind of give us the chp cogen big picture at sunnybrook sure thing um yeah so so chp stands for combined heat and power that's why it's also known as as cogen or cogeneration um or in cases where uh you might be producing uh, cooling as well from the system. It's uh, even sometimes referred to as tri-generation. Uh, typical, typical engines for the for a CHP system would be uh, like a reciprocating engine. Diesel or natural gas is common. In our case, we went with a um, natural gas turbine, just like in a similar to what you have in a in a jet engine for for an airplane. Uh, and then tied with that engine is heat recovery system of some sort and that's um, that's a critical piece uh, that's what gives you a payback on the project and and uh, gets you the approvals from the from the financial people uh, so in in Sunnybrook's case we uh, sized a gas turbine that fit our our base load electric and thermal um, requirements and that'll um, by running the turbine reducing our amount of, of hydro use off the grid and and offsetting some uh, less efficient steam boilers it'll uh, save it'll net us about two and a half million dollars uh, from this eight megawatt turbine every year not to mention the the many other benefits and I don't know if you want me to get into that or save it but um, the the cost savings is what get your get your foot in the door and then it's the all the other stuff that you know engages people and keeps the project moving forward yeah that's a, that's great mike um one question i had is how does chp fit into the broader energy and environmental goals for the hospital given uh your role there um chp is one part of uh, what i would assume is a larger energy and environmental portfolio of work. So how does CHP contribute and, and fit in there? Yeah, yeah, sure thing. Um, yeah, at, at, from some perspectives, it looks like um, we, this one might be a little bit contrary to our environmental goals just because we're, we're burning gas in this, in this turbine to produce the, produce the benefits. So um, it, it might appear to be counterintuitive, but on the other hand, we're we're using less grid electricity, and much of that is during uh, peaking hours. So we're offsetting 
um, gas turbine or gas plants at the provincial level, which, um, you know, they might be if they're if they're simple cycle, they might be something like 35 percent efficient. Efficient if their combined cycle might be, uh, say, 50, 55 percent efficient. Well, with, with with our system, because we're using all the electricity, using all the all the heat or as much heat as we can off the exhaust, our efficiency is upwards towards 75 percent. So it's it's more efficient overall, and therefore uh, an environmental benefit. Not to mention that. Um, at the same time, and I'm sure we'll get into this in greater detail, but we're we're improving our redundancy on the site in terms of um, being able to run for extended periods. Most of our operations, even uh, if we lose Toronto Hydro due to, say, an ice storm or something like that, and uh, gives us more options in terms of uh, what equipment we're running, what fuels we're using. And, and uh, again, to the environmental point, and this is... Maybe we'll be talking to CEM again in the future. Uh, uh, if, if you know, as as renewable natural gas or hydrogen comes more into play, maybe we'll be able to look at some fuel switching opportunities there without uh, any uh, uh, greenhouse gas impacts. Right, and that's a that's a good. Um, you mentioned there a bit of the additional benefits beyond um, energy, and uh, I wanted to ask a. A bit of a question towards Dave, um, and and feel free to jump in as well, Mike. But um, given the uh, cogen as one available source of power, you've got utility. Uh, you also have a number of diesel generators that can operate, and you can operate these systems independently from the grid. Uh, effectively, the the campus has now become a, a microgrid on its own. Um, so with that being said, what advantages does having a microgrid for the campus provide beyond just reducing the energy costs? That's a good question. And actually, when I heard the term microgrid, I mean, it's been tossed around for quite a while. I stopped and asked myself, well, what really is a, a microgrid? And for me, the term grid picks up images of generation sources, data gathering systems, a control center, and teams of people throughout a region. But of course, that's not Sunnybrook. But then when you start looking at it, exactly like you said, we've got solar panel arrays, we've got CHP. And the CHP brings with it not only the electrical power, but the steam power, which is crucial for uh, offsetting some of the costs we would have incurred otherwise. We were looking at buying another boiler, with the CHP and the, and the duct burner, no need to do that. It's all in that package. Um, we've got, as you found out, uh, the diesel generators, uh, we've got load rejection systems. We really do have a, a microgrid. And part of our challenge in my group and some of the other people is to figure out how can we start thinking about ourselves as a utility and providing power and heat uh, with a new way of doing it. So. We're still trying to really wrap our heads around that one, I think. Let's let's unpack that a bit further. Like from a from an electrical perspective, Dave, like um, walk us through maybe some of the operating scenarios that you now have, uh, you know, at your fingertips. Perhaps uh, maybe give us a, a high level 
um, or and Mike or Steve, you can jump in as well and fill it in. But talk us through some of the operating systems, particularly electrically, because I think that's really fascinating for me as a mechanical engineer. What you guys have done here is pretty exciting. Okay, well, let me uh, <coughs> let me answer that a little bit in an obtuse uh, way. Um, and having CHP online for our place is great with steam production and supporting us during grid outages. That's I think was the original uh, concept, and really is the, the driving force behind it. And of course, that cogen is designed to ride through that crucial period between the loss of power and the starting of emergency generators to support our campus operations. And as a matter of fact, we're already using that concept to provide power support during internal outages that have nothing to do with the grid. And that's a critical concept. The, the idea of being able to uh, power those patient safety loads during a time of power loss from the grid. So when the grid disappears, uh, we've got life safety systems throughout the hospital. There's actually 20 distribution substations. All of them need to be backed up by the diesel generation and in turn the cogen. Uh, the cogen is also becoming useful in ways we hadn't thought about previously. We're planning an outage where we're moving substation equipment from one location to another. And that means transferring our emergency power loads in that building to a normal power circuit, which means we lose that ability to back up a, a grid loss. So we turn on the uh, the cogen and have it running while we're doing our work. And we put the emergency generators online. So we know that if we lose power coming in from the grid, even though we've lost our emergency backup system link to that building, it's covered. We're there. So we're constantly looking at ways of using it in maybe scenarios that we hadn't thought about when we brought the cogen in on the first place. Um, just trying to think where to go from here with. Uh, Steve, are there other aspects? You know, I know you've worked very closely with Dave and, and Mike and Michael. Mm. Are there other aspects, Steve, that are baked in that are providing these, you know, additional benefits? Uh, and, and feel free to get a little real, real bug dusty here uh, and real technical for some of our listeners, too. Yeah, sure. Well, um, you know, one of the interesting aspects that was built in is the ability to black start the unit. And... Um, you know, that, that's not necessarily, um, you know, built into the design. It's something that needs to be added. Um, so that um, is important because if there's a chance that we're unable to ride through an event or the cogen is shut down at the time that there's an interruption, you have the ability to get all of that extra generation capacity to where it's needed um and we had to get a little bit clever about how to make that happen because the the cogen needs a, a good bit of power in order to start up and uh, we do have the benefit of the uh, emergency diesel generators at the unit uh, of course we don't necessarily want to consume energy from the emergency generators all the time uh, if the cogen is just running normally but we needed the ability to transfer that load over to uh, an emergency source if we did need to be able to black start. And there's a number of other things, interlocks, to make sure that that, uh, that operation is done safely um, and reliably so that there's no risk of connecting where you're not uh, intending to connect. Um, so getting all that, those interlocks in place and uh, ensuring you've got enough capacity, you've got the ability to transfer load over, then you need the ability to transfer load back once you do get the cogen started up. So I think that's another interesting aspect that we were able to uh, bake into the design. Um, 
another thing that, uh, as Mike touched on, the turbine is designed for your base load, kind of your your to cover the most uh, most common load for the campus. But of course, it's not fixed. It uh, it will change. You know, it varies over the weekends. It's lower. Um, it's seasonal as well. You will hit uh, quite a bit larger peaks in the summertime. So um, the ability to use your diesel generators in conjunction with the cogen allows you to cover more of the hospital campus than you would with just one source or the other. Mm. So Dave, so Matt, I could, if ahead. I could just add in there as a as a mechanical engineer myself, I, I share your your fascination uh, with all things uh, with these electrical aspects in my case uh it's it's got a fair measure of bafflement uh, along with the number of different uh operating scenarios and and uh you know control sequences needed is is quite impressive um i, I will also mention add too that um we do also have um some control capability on the load side of things so especially during some of the transitional um situations where things are are moving fast we can drop loads now ideally you know the the electric chillers are are uh, an example of that where if necessary you know where the campus is pulling too much power and we don't have it yet available from the turbine or the or the generators for whatever reason we can drop those um to to stabilize the system and and i mentioned earlier we do have Another piece of the system are the steam chillers. We have two large steam chillers, so they um, perform a couple functions. They use they they help to soak up some of that uh, thermal output from the from the turbine, as well as uh, you know provide uh, chilling in case we have had to shed the electric chillers. And I was going to say one thing I, I want to really touch on is uh, power quality. And I'm not sure that's something that was really looked at as a benefit, but I'm seeing more and more the farther we get into this project that this thing might be pretty interesting. Um, previously at, at Sunnybrook, electrical power supply, I think most people saw it as being reasonably good by hospital standards. And Michael McRitchie, as Mike uh, referred to our POM director, he realized we had supply issues and we needed some efforts to mitigate them. So about five years ago, the campus generator project came online and that got rid of our brief blackouts that we had with the open transition testing that we're obligated to do every week for life safety systems. At that point, when we had what looked to be seamless uh, transfers, everybody seemed pretty happy at the hospital. When I got here, I was surprised how poor the power quality was, but I was spoiled by the mill where I worked before. We had a 230 kV grid connection we had step-down transformers with on-load tap changers, masked an awful lot of grid activity, but we don't have that at Sunnybrook. Our power comes from overhead lines that wander through the surrounding residential area. Acceptable to any squirrel that says, I think I can't, or tree branches that were pushed by the into the 27-6 lines around them by weather events. And to make matters worse, the eight feet service the area come off a common bus that successfully transfers all the squirrel and tree activity to every other feeder two of which are connected to Sunnybrook. At the same time, all the hospital equipment, the, the clinical departments out there actually believe that the lights never go off. 
And it doesn't matter if it's emergency generators, whatever, electricity is never supposed to stop running and it's always supposed to be 100% pure 60 hertz power. It's a big message to some of those doctors to tell them, eh, no, that doesn't work that way, I'm sorry. So at this point, I started wondering, could a microgrid solve some of our problems? And as I became more experienced operating the cogen, I'm looking to learn more and more about it. I want to find out more about the ride-through process and see if we've got the optimal setup for uh, minimizing, yeah, pardon me, maximizing the cogen's ability to handle grid outages. It's the interaction between the grid, the cogen, and the hospital loads, and it's a very complex interaction. What's happening during a voltage dip from the grid? Can the turbine provide any kind of voltage support? What goes on during connecting to and disconnecting from the grid? Are there perturbations we see in the hospital? Can the cogen provide voltage support when the grid voltages are varying courtesy of capacitor bank switching, whatever Toronto Hydro sees themselves as needing to do? And I suspect we probably got some tuning opportunities front of us if we uh, understand this take advantage of it we're looking and beyond can it work with the code have an impact on our voltage fluctuations the flare mitigation device comes in here i can't think of a worse load hey dave um we, sorry sorry to cut you yeah. we're we're losing a bit of your audio maybe you can turn your video off and okay and, uh, your, sure your, uh, Getting to the, uh, you're getting to the best part here, and I, I don't know about Stephen. <laughs> I'm losing okay. a bit. Of it, so. Is that coming in any clearer? And I, you want me to go back through anything that we've uh, missed out on there? Well, I wanted to ask you a real pointed question. So pretend, sure. uh, I, pretend I'm the CEO of Sunnybrook Hospital, and I, I've been watching the weather, and you know this climate change thing is proving to be real, and um, you know a weather, a weather system which we've never seen before in Toronto, or an ice storm, you know, mm -hmm. uh, is coming through. And I walk into your office and I say, Dave, can you keep this campus running at full bore? This, you know, Armageddon is coming. Uh, what do you say to that question? Uh, we say sure. <laughs> and what we were doing is we haven't got the ability to supply all the power that we'd like to be able to supply. Um, the, the summer peaks, the summer peaks are ones that still elude us. Uh, in the wintertime, we've actually been running with the cogen and nobody in the hospital realized it. Then we were disconnected from the grid, so that's cool. there. Cool. In the uh, it, that's winter, so the shoulder seasons are good. It's the summer that can get us in the trouble. Okay. At that point, we'd be losing probably some chiller capability. Maybe we'd have to turn off some other circuits, but we'd still keep the place going. If uh, that big thunderstorm took down the grid for a couple of days, I don't see it being a problem. The, the, the so it's definitely resiliency we didn't have. And, right. and yeah, the part there that. Um that's worth clarifying is that when a weather situation is coming through town, it's going to impact the Toronto hydro grid, but it's not going to impact your CHP. If you isolate from that grid system, you don't have to worry about the brave squirrels and, uh, you know, trucks hitting lines <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, lightning striking the lines, right? Cause you, you've got your own power supply. It's all, uh, underground protected provided from the cogen and in your diesel generator system yeah that that does assume that the natural gr gas distribution grid is is not impacted by the storm but it's it's shown in the past that it's pretty reliable and and we do have um, like we've got stored diesel for our emergency generators we've got uh, stored furnace oil for our steam boilers so we do have some choices there 
some options. So, so it sounds like the worst thing that would happen is that the offices for the the doctors might get a little warm because the air conditioning wouldn't work. But, but other than that, you know, the critical things, it sounds like they're going to be they're going to be looked after. So, uh, that's that's great to hear. So let's let's step back in time a little bit, Mike, and you know, we we have this system that can it's got all these bells and whistles, and it's you know it's going to provide a, a massive improvement in resiliency and you know, position Sunnybrook to be this kind of city on a hill, to use that phrase for, you know, in the event of a storm. Does that happen overnight? Do you, do, do you and, and, and you know, Dave wake up one day and say, hey, I got an idea, let's do this? Or, Mike, walk us through the development of how did we get to, you know, April 2021 and, you know, we're on a podcast talking about uh, this project. Can you walk us through, you know, the development that, that went into this? Sure, and it's it's a long process that predates my five years at Sunnybrook. Uh, I've I've found some feasibility studies going back 30 years, uh, so it's sort of been on the radar for a long time. But uh, it took a while for all the pieces to come together and produce a a good business case. Um, Thanks to CEM, in fact, uh, that was the probably the most recent feasibility study in 2012, and that's when things really started to to move forward. Where the where the financial numbers, you know, gas prices had been trending down, electricity prices had been trending up, uh, the the cost of these systems had been uh, had been improving over time. Um, so the financials looked pretty good. Uh, that was 2012 for that feasibility study, and then. Um, we had a bit of a catalyst moment in in 2013. I don't know if you remember around Christmas of 2013, we had that ice storm, and and our director Michael often tells a story about how basically the the, the Sunnybrook lost power for something like like grid power for for 39 hours. So we were relying purely on the on the generators for an extended period, um, and just you know what does that mean for a hospital let me let me just uh read off a few points from a presentation he did at the time um so the type of impacts medical imaging uh appointments were canceled lab tests like critical lab tests were delayed um food delivery to patients was delayed retail operations without power uh the the um Computer network and email systems were disrupted. Lighting, elevators, air handling was greatly uh, diminished, the functions. Uh, so overall, extremely disruptive to hospital patients and staff, staff and visitors. And uh, when we started having some concerns about the fuel supply to the generators, that's when we made a very difficult decision to, to transport six um, vulnerable babies from Sunnybrook to neighboring hospitals. And that's, that's not a decision that we would take lightly, but we felt it was in the best interests of the, of the babies. And so the, the timing of that ice storm and the impact certainly uh, uh, lended credence to sort of the non-financial aspects of the business case and, and really added uh, 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 urgency to to what we were doing, and so mm. so uh, the the work on that 
business case continued over the subsequent years and many presentations to senior staff, uh, uh, many revisits of the business case and the, and the detailed engineering study uh, over the years as, as variables changed and, and we added more detail along the way. I don't know if you remember, Matt, but we had, we had 12 revisions of that detailed energy study and thanks to CEM for, for uh, you know, adapting along the way. Uh, I, I, uh, this actually was one of the, well, was the first business case that I put together that explicitly included for carbon cost. Um, and that was part, this was, you know, right around revision number six or so, we felt it important to add in carbon cost as a separate item. And, and that changed along the way. First, we had a provincial cap and trade system, and then that went away and we had nothing. And, and then now we've got a federal system that's uh, changed a little bit along the way. And it looks like we're going back to a, to a provincial system um, next year. So, so it was certainly an interesting exercise involving a lot of people here, a lot of um, great support from our finance people um, to, to bring that business case along the way. And working with, uh, with uh, you know, with CEM's help, we engaged uh, Enbridge and Toronto Hydro early on. That was certainly a critical piece to, to bring them in very early. Um, what were some of the, over the course of the project, what were some of the challenges and successes the hospital had with permits and approvals and that sort of thing? And, and how, was, uh, how was CEM able to contribute to that effort? The, uh, I guess I missed out on a lot of the earlier stuff when it came to China dealing with the Toronto Hydro, but um, really the, the work that uh, CM did with us and uh, pulling the project together, um, Steve, I think you were great at taking us through that uh, labyrinth that is putting a generator online. Um, we had no experience with doing anything like that. Even our generators for the campus, we depend on someone else to look after that stuff. So it's really important to have somebody guide us through that process while running the project along. Um, thank you very much. And and there was really uh, a bunch of permits, right? There was the interconnect oh. permit with with Toronto Hydro. There, Mike. There was a an, there's an air and noise permit that had uh, some con yep. some 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 complexities to it as well, right? That was that was a big one given where the hospital was, right? Uh, for sure, yeah. Um, and CEM certainly helped us. Um, we had a separate environmental consultant, but they needed lots of data, lots of information about the system, how it was going to operate, what the equipment uh, um, was, and how it operated in terms of emissions and, and noise and all that. And, and Mike, this, in terms of, you know, Sunnybrook's internal processes, you know, we talked about permitting, but internally, this was a, a big investment, uh, and and so you know, how, how, what were the steps, or you know, just in general terms, you know, you were you and I, I, I remember, you know, just about to get on a plane, having a call with with you and a colleague on Rev eleven or twelve, as you say, um, and uh, on the business case. But then it, from you, you know, you were kind of an initial champion, and we've mentioned Michael McRitchie, but it went, you know, the, the involvement was was 
widespread in terms of you know support and and buy in at Sunnybrook, right up all the way up the food chain. Tell us a bit about that, if you can. Yeah, in terms of the business case itself, we were very much working closely with the finance folks. Um, they they really dug in, and I think you know by the end of it, they were understanding some of the technical aspects more than um, more than me even. Um, they provided a, a really important sort of second set and different set of eyes and really asked some, some difficult questions where, you know, I thought I knew the answer, but then when they, you know, asked these very pointed questions, I had to, had to, you know, Oh, wait a minute. I'm maybe I didn't fully think through the implications of that. Uh, you know, the, the, the utility, the, the gas and, and, and hydro rates are changing all the time. As I mentioned, the the carbon cost was very much in a state of flux, and we needed to somehow uh, model those different potentialities there. Um, and and so it was it, the each in, the, in each one of those revisions of the detailed engineering study that we that we got CEM to do for us. That generated a whole bunch of internal uh, spreadsheet analyses to to understand the different permutations and implications and sensitivity analysis. Um, so it was it was uh, we really needed that close participation from our from our finance people and and I mean that's that's just the finance. I mean there were so many others that were involved on the on the legal side of things. Uh, um, Obviously, uh, Dave on the on the especially the electrical and the commissioning end of things, um, the the operational folks, um, the people who operate our our central plant currently, and uh, one of the one of the important pieces that we built into the business case right from the very start was a was a cogen specialist, um, someone who had experience with these systems and could help us out on the on the operations the day-to-day -day operation side of things that was important and of course uh, once we got into construction uh, we had a really excellent project manager Zia who who you know he really sweated all the little details and made sure all the pieces of the project team were working together and and dealing with uh, issues that came up as we went along so and I know I've missed many people Matt but that's just a quick overview and and eventually it goes all the way up to the board of directors for final approval, right? Like that's how big. Well, this was. of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. We went in front of uh, senior management many times. Uh, uh, you know, after the feasibility study, um, after the detailed engineering study, and then a couple times as the business case progressed to present present new new data, new and better information as we went along, and of course to get the final approval to award in. Uh, in December of, of 2019. I think a, I think a major part of that is uh, approaching it as a, as a team working together between CEM and Sunnybrook and, and many other parties. But um, you know, you mentioned some of the you know the legal and the, the executive level, but um, on the technical side too, I, I think um, I think we had a lot of fun working together with Sunnybrook to kind of understand what was most important to the hospital and the nitty gritty details 
Um, and uh, because every project for us is different, every every location we put a cogen in has uh, its own requirements and needs that are a little bit different. So I think there were a lot of uh, individuals, especially on the Sunnybrook side, that uh, added a ton of value to the engineering side uh, of our, our design as well. Yeah, there's, a, I guess, a few differences compared to a typical industrial site. For sure. Let, let's, we talked a bit about construction, but in, in my view, and, and construction is very important, and Zia did a, a great job, and the contractors, uh, you know, building, you know, in the context of, of a global pandemic, and I mean, I think that's a, a perhaps a podcast in and of itself, but let's, and I want to put kind of all three of you on the spot. And maybe Dave, we'll start with you in terms of commissioning. And I know you know all of us were involved, but um, you know may- maybe walk us through um, you know some of the uh, you know some of the steps or the the, the process of commissioning. And we'll talk about some of the challenges perhaps in a minute. But I think to, to Mike's point about this being different than a typical industrial project, maybe Dave, I'll, I'll ask you to go first, and Mike and Steve can chime in. Talk to us about commissioning and and how that happened and you know, the hospital's involvement, and that was not a straightforward process. It was very detailed, very well thought out. Um, I got to watch it from the outside, but Dave, I'll put you on the spot first with respect to commissioning. Sure. Yeah, the commissioning, um, and I I guess my focus on a lot of the commissioning is uh, the impact of the hospital. Uh, Because we're not an industrial load where you can pretty much do what you want, and then when you're ready to go, put the plug into the industry power source and off you go. Uh, we're anything but that. And of course, anything we do at the hospital has the ability to impact uh, life safety equipment or patients. It's hard to find something we did in that project that didn't have an impact on those things. And uh, what made it even more difficult was we've just recommissioned or commissioned rather our substation, which was a, a renewal, and it dramatically changed the way the substation operated. So the old ways and how people were used to dealing with substation no longer applied. So before we even got that digested and started getting familiar with it, we're in altering that system in order to accommodate the cogen operation. So from our, our view, uh, that was really challenging. And the testing and commissioning that we needed to bring the cogen online, I'm going to go on a limb and say was far more difficult than any other project we've ever tried to do that on. I get referenced back to the campus generator project for issues on it. Uh, it had nothing on this project. So, and we learned a lot. There's a lot of things we're going to do differently now for future projects from what we've learned going through this one. Interesting. And, and Mike, can you speak to the mechanical side in terms of you know how how that worked with everything else going on in the hospital? Uh, <laughs> I think compared to the electrical, <laughs> it was easy. I, I saw everything that Dave was going through and the number of shutdowns and and figuring out the impacts on the rest of the facility that uh, I think on the mechanical side, it was, it was relatively speaking somewhat easy. There was, there was some steam impacts. Yes. Where we had to shut down the, the steam system and that's never easy. The, the, uh, ster- the people in the sterilization facility never appreciate that. Um, and you lose hot water. Uh, so it's never good. But again, compared to the, um, the, the potential for things to go wrong on the electrical side, I think it's, uh, in the complexity, I think it was, relatively speaking, easy. 
Yeah, I think that maybe, that, maybe you'd like to dispute that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that intersection that you touched on a little bit there between um, you know what's at stake and the complexity kind of really drives uh, how much commissioning is necessary. How you know how many tests you have to do and how detailed do you have to go in. Um, you know, the fact that we have multiple buses, we have multiple configurations, we can connect the Kojon on bus A, we can connect it on bus B, we have two utility feeds. Um, so it really starts to stack up all the different uh, tests you want to do. But at the same time, you don't want to just do half of it or part of it and say, you know, it's probably good for the other parts. Um, you really want to step through every little bit and uh, and test everything out so you know without a shadow of a doubt that it's going to come through when you really need it to. You don't want to be finding out years later that, oh, we really should have tested this because there was something that we missed. And and there's always um, one thing about commissioning is that the point is to find issues. Um, if you go through commissioning and everything goes smoothly, chances are you've missed something. <laughs> so it's... Yeah. It's That's almost right. a bit of a relief to uh, be going through a commissioning process and have a, a mistake happen. Something goes wrong, something shuts down, um, because then you're able to trace through those problems and, and resolve it before you know everyone, uh, everyone walks away and, and we consider it a day. So uh, yeah, I think that, I think that was all uh, really uh, played into the extent of commissioning that we had to. Uh, involved here. Uh, I so, always uh, throughout that process, I felt a little bit bad for Dave because he was our he was our <laughs> elevator guy. Every, every time oh, we had yeah. uh, some uh, test yeah. we were planning, uh, even though we didn't expect it to cause any interruption, he had to make sure all the elevators were grounded and was running around and coordinating everything. Yeah, we were actually damaging equipment from some of the testing we were doing. And we kind of knew that was a good possibility. We've got a lot of old equipment and it doesn't like the power being shut off on a regular basis. But as Steve says, you do not want to find out something doesn't work when it's a crisis. It's absolutely got to work then. The, um, the big change for us, I think, is the, we hired a commissioning agent to help us do the commissioning on the hospital side. Uh, really knows his stuff. A lot of detail. Some of those tests were 400 steps long. But the testing was actually conducted in a manner to make the testing itself efficient and, and quick. Um, and I think that's the way it's always been done. But when we got into the substation testing and then that really pointed out how the hospital can be almost left in a, a spin, not knowing what's coming and going and happening next. Um, for the cogen, we dramatically changed how we did our testing. So we actually looked at it instead and said, how do we make the, the testing as least impactful as we can to the hospital? And we actually, as Steve says, took our time doing it. We would stop the, the testing. We would check with the hospital, various departments, uh, engage people, look after the elevators, made announcements, and then we would go on to the next step and the next step. So I think the commissioning took longer than they're used to it taking. But I think taking the time and making sure the hospitals looked after first uh, turned out to be a really smart investment. And we're actually going to be doing the same approach now for other terminal projects that take uh, take on power outages. Uh, we're looking at changing an awful lot on how we do that. We're trying to take the steps required for testing. For instance, you want to know that a breaker signal comes back saying it's open or closed. Can we do that testing when the breaker is energized but not yet taking load and avoid interrupting the hospital? 
So we're going to basically tease apart those 400 steps and see where we can insert them into other activities that are already taking place and then have less and less to have to do with the hospital actually being part of the load that's shed when we go through our work. Very cool. And and Steve, for you, I mean, you've been around commissioning these types of cogens before, perhaps not in a, an environment like this. I mean, were there surprises for you, Steve? Uh, the elevator um, grounding issue being one. Were there other surprises, Steve, even from your experienced uh, perspective on similar CHPs? Yeah, I think um, I think experience from other projects was really helpful to us. I, I, there were certain things that I was anticipating. I said, you know what, let's uh, check this, or you know, this is probably a problem. And uh, so, experience from other projects um, was instrumental, I think, in uh, avoiding uh, a lot of time uh, scratching our heads, figuring uh, what could what the issue could be. Um, but there's always something, always something new. I think every project there's, uh, I learned something new. Uh, that's part of the, both the stress and also the, uh, the excitement and fun of uh, being involved with commissioning. Um, so yeah, especially the complexity of this site was something new, uh, integrating into an existing, very new, uh, switchgear substation and understanding, uh, how the hospital operates because there's many downstream uh, transfer schemes where buildings can be moved from one source of power to another and, and understanding how they manage that currently and, and how it's going to change with the cogen um, that, that was all uh, very interesting and new and it was something that uh, we really needed uh, Sunnybrook's contribution to the commissioning process to make sure we we're all on the same page and, and understood what was going on Cool. So we're now almost completely commissioned. Like what, what's next in terms of Sunnybrook's approach to operations, maintenance? Do you have a, a reporting obligation? Uh, talk to us about, you know, where, where, where you're going next with the CHP. Yeah, it's, it's uh, fully commissioned, Matt. Um, we're basically at a stage of getting comfortable with the system operationally and discovering some of the uh, thing, the, 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 you know, intricacies of, of, of how it operates and how it responds. Like Dave's earlier comment there about these short-term blips on, on, the, on the Toronto hydro grid, like 100 milliseconds, what does that do uh, to the system? So we're learning about things, things like that right now. Um, yeah, very much uh, M and V. Um, Toronto Hydro um, is providing a, a pretty substantial incentive for this project, and and they expect some um, quality results back, and so we have to support that with uh, uh, regular reporting to to show that we're uh, operating the way we we said we would. Um, and, and your your existing steam plant staff will ha have assumed operations, and they'll they'll continue to, to run the system. Yeah, that's right. Uh, okay. uh, and again, as I mentioned, we do have a cogen specialist who's kind of uh, overseeing that effort and uh, and and working with our stationary engineers. Very cool. And uh, in terms of maintenance, I mean. Uh, the boiler maintenance is something that uh, you know you're you're already used to doing, but 
now you have this big uh, jet engine bolted to the floor and and it and it has a maintenance uh, needs like any piece of moving equipment do you have a strategy for that uh, maintenance on a long-term basis Yeah, I think the, the maintenance side of things we're slowly getting into. The power plant personnel have routine checks they do. The PMs are currently being set up in our computerized maintenance management system. Um, we're going to be training internal maintenance people how to handle failures. And Mike's spending a lot of time working with uh, Solar on finding out how we're going to uh, set up a longer term contract to help them help us look after the equipment. Okay, very cool. There's a lot to it. Yeah, yeah. So um, maybe kind of two questions here as we close. One, one to finish up on the CHP, and then I want to talk kind of what's next and, and looking down the future. But to all three of you who are you know very actively involved, anything else on the CHP that we haven't touched on, or you know a benefit or a, a challenge in the project, or you know, some te technical aspect that you're just fascinated by and we haven't talked about open open it up to all three of you in terms of as we close on the chp any 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 final thoughts i mean there's, there's a big deal from the electrical side on, on training and training we realize uh oh i don't know who's getting this one all, all of us i think <laughs> Are we, okay. for, for our listeners we're getting a uh, emergency alert um, a stay-at-home order in effect here in Ontario. So for our uh, listeners across North America, we're, we're we're hunkering down for our third wave of uh, COVID here in Ontario. So D D Dave, go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. The, uh, the training, uh, we've always used a paradigm of training that says, here's a bunch of owner's manuals, here's the uh, required uh, PMs, off you go. And as long as you're familiar with the kind of equipment that's coming in, that's probably sufficient. But this was so new for us that we would have been smarter to look at training and really have resources and perhaps uh, guidance. I'll, I'll throw a, a, a paradigm out there for you. Back in the mill, we dealt with a company from Germany and we would buy equipment that would measure temperature, molten steel, different things. They not only developed the equipment, designed it, made it, they also ran their own steel mill. So their operators knew how to run that equipment and they would come with the equipment to your facility and work with your operators making it run. You paid for all that and it wasn't cheap, but boy, did it make for an effective transition. And I kind of wish we were so unused to Cogen and our new substation that if we had something along those lines, that would have been smart of us to organize and set that up. I'm not sure how easy that would be to even do. But that's the kind of training approach that would have uh, would make a big difference for us now. We're trying to play catch up as we speak. Mm. And another thing that comes up that's been a, a thorn recently is uh, alarming. Alarms sound like fairly straightforward things. In the past, they've always been notes that had to go out to the user and the equipment needs you to know this. But we're finding out with our new substation and the cogen that way of presenting alarms makes it really difficult to know what happened. So for instance, when we lose power coming in for the standard 10 seconds, the cogen's not online, and we have to transfer over to our alternative backup feeder, there's nothing telling us that happens. So there's a hundred alarm messages coming in in those few minutes, and you're trying to look at different alarms to understand what was happening out there and try to infer what was really going on. So we need to take a good look at how our alarms are, are set up, and that's a separate system from CEM and understand can we make them more effective to highlight what's happening out there when things go wrong 
so that we can quickly and effectively respond to them. Uh, apparently, lots of other industries have the same issues, so that might be something we're working on for a while. I always we always talk about this infancy period with projects like this and all you know all of us who've raised kids we know in that first year of, of re rearing kids we don't quite know what the cry the different cries mean but as we get more experienced as parents uh, we kind of know what the different cries or different alarms are so that's uh, agreed something to work on and, and something to uh, uh, that, that will that will work itself out in the early infancy uh, period of a project like this um, so as we kind of you know, close close here. Um, I'm curious, Dave and, and Mike, what's next? I mean, you've you've certainly there's there's efforts around the CHP where um, you know you have to get used to it and you know get your feet under you. You know, but but you know a lot of the heavy lifting, particularly getting it approved and construction and commissioning. So what what's next in terms of you know electrical systems? What's next in terms of some of the sustainability initiatives uh, with, with the hospital. What does the next, what, what's going to keep you both busy aside from the day to day? What's going to keep <laughs> you both busy uh, as you move forward at Sunnybrook? I'll, uh, I'll let Dave go first because I know he'll want to talk about batteries. <laughs> True, we'll get back to that arc furnace. Um, on this, I really want to explore a lot on power quality. And I'm looking at power quality down to probably needing to bring in some high-speed recorders and looking at really subtle disturbances and understand how the grid, cogen, and our distribution system interact. I've got this kind of far-out idea based on work that I'd seen done before where a battery bank might possibly be used to provide the megavar uh, support to bring our voltage up and keep it there. Don't know how real that is. But the guy that I'm dealing with right now who's helping us explore power quality issues has a background in connecting arc furnaces to cogens, something I didn't think you could do. Mm. And he, he's got a lot of insight from doing that kind of work. And we're wondering, can we make a lot of the voltage fluctuations and dips that we see coming in disappear? And maybe one day those doctors actually will be right when they say the power never goes out. That's my dream. Wow. So if we can use the cogen as a stepping stone to get us there, wonderful. Huh. That's very so, cool. So, so one of the one of the sort of hardware tools that would uh, is may well get help us there is is having a campus uh, battery storage bank. It could provide a lot of that stability um, and predictability that we need during some of those fast transient events that might happen. And, and not to mention that it can be used for you know you, we could. You know, run the run the campus just on batteries for an extended period. Theoretically, if we want, again once we get the uh, business case to to work. And on the on the and there's certainly lots of energy management uh, um, work left to do. Uh, we're embarking on a campus-wide LED lighting upgrade, so that'll help reduce load and. And you know, address those peak times that Dave uh, referred to in the summertime. There, um, a new thing, fairly new thing for us, is the uh, electric vehicle charging stations. That's a bit new, where where facility people have to worry about basically supplying fuel for vehicles. It's it's a bit of a new um, new world in that end of things. Um, Maybe we get into thermal energy storage. So uh, same thing as on as the batteries on the electrical side. Maybe uh, we have a, a thermal storage to to get us through some of those 
times when we need extra extra cooling. Um, and there's just so much new technology. I mean, heat pumps have improved a lot in the last few years, and and we have oh, I think hundreds of of window air conditioners on site because these are very some of these are buildings here are very old and don't have the infrastructure for central central cooling. Maybe uh, maybe heat pumps might provide a, a solution there, or maybe I mean we have we need hot in some areas, we need cold in some other areas at the same time. Again, a heat pump could be a great way to bridge those two effectively. Mm. Um, the CHP, uh, maybe other sites, uh, some of our smaller uh, um, locations, maybe CHP is viable at those places now and we're looking into that. Very, very cool. Well, uh, thank you both for joining. I know you're both busy helping a hospital stay uh, stay consistent and providing a great care. So we know you're both busy. Uh, are you on LinkedIn? Like how, how can people, if they have questions, uh, they've loved what they've heard, how, what's the best way to get a uh, hold of, of the both of you? Uh, LinkedIn's one method, I guess, and thought of that one. I'm not much of a, a social media person, but yes, yes, that's not a bad way. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm on uh, LinkedIn as well, Matt. Um, or you can reach, I mean, you can reach me directly by email as well. So it's michael.lithgow at sunnybrook.ca. And so it's L-I-T-H-G-O-W, Lithgow. Excellent. And mine's dave.simmons, uh, same, same approach for Sunnybrook. Awesome. Well, thank you both for uh, carving out an hour to, to speak with us. Uh, I, I'm sure... If the four of us were uh, were together uh, with uh, maybe some adult beverages, we could go on for many more hours about uh, this project and uh, all the fun that we had. And, and I hope at some point in the near future we get to do that uh, once we continue to uh, see the vaccines roll out. But in the meantime, we appreciate both of you uh, joining us today for episode 51. Uh, so a special thank you to, to Mike Lithgow and to Dave Simmons, uh, key members of the uh, Energy and Infrastructure utilities team at Sunnybrook and uh, a special thank you to my guest co-host our discipline head for electrical here at CEM uh, and lead electrical engineer on the Sunnybrook project Steve Quinlan. Um, Steve thank you for joining us. Uh, will you consider coming back as a, a guest uh, co-host in the future Steve? Yeah absolutely this has been great it's been great fun thanks for the uh, opportunity Matt and it's always uh, good to talk to these guys here again too. Agreed. Agreed. And to our listeners, uh, thank you for tuning in. This was episode uh, 51 of Energy Radio on behalf of our executive producer, Lisa Barber, and our man behind the glass, Mark Charbonneau. Uh, my name is uh, Matt Lensink. And until we chat again, uh, stay safe and, and have fun. Take care. <laughs>